remember when we're, we're supposed to be angry at certain things, we're human beings. It's how we react to these things. If, if something's going on in your family and your old self will kick off and say some things out of your mouth and speak ugly things that will, will cause an escalation in the family. But in Christ, you evaluate these things and you sit back and you let the spirit dictate. Welcome everybody to the Pit Podcast with your host Patrick Myers, Ephraim, and Dennis. Right now we have a, a couple of guests with us today. We have Andrew uh, Lozano, Quentin Wilson, and Danny. Today's topic is going to be a little bit, we're going to get right into it today. We're not going to do a lot of fluff and muss right or and much right now, Lord, we're just going to get in here and start talking about what the issues are, because I think it's going to be pretty dynamic today. We want to give voice to a lot of the people that are in this room so that they can be able to speak on this as much as possible and from their heart. And today's topic is going to be about strife. And strife is just one of those things that just, I know strife has been a very big issue in my life. And strife has ruined relationships in my life. Strife has made me see other people in ways that I shouldn't have seen them. Strife has was one of the things that put me into that tree was strife when I took my life two years ago. Strife has caused much separation in my life. Strife has separated me from God many times in my life. And this is one of those areas where that we're talking about today that we as men, we definitely need a lot of grace in. Because as men, we carry a lot of things internally. And then when we are, when we get to that moment, most of us usually, we pop. And we do or say things that's normally out of character. We look at situations and make snap decisions that's not based on the heart of God because of strife. And a lot of times we think strife is always with others, but not realizing that strife is actually can be an, an, an internal thing where you have strife with yourself because you're trying to figure out who you are in the moment to make certain decisions. And so we're going to get right into it. And I hope you guys take something from this and and you grow today. And just thank you guys for being here. So it says, what does the Bible say about strife? Strife is a strong, ongoing conflict over a fundamental issue. Strife is deeper than an argument broader than disagreement. Strife usually involves bitterness and sometimes violence. We see strife today often in the political realm as candidates for often for office launch vile attacks against their political foes. Strife within families can result in lifelong emotional scars. And the thing is about those lifelong emotional scars, I'll speak to that. Most of us men carry that. We're still carrying a lot of those emotional scars because of strife. Strife between nations can lead to war. When strife occurs among believers, the church's testimony is tarnished and Christ is dishonored. 
And how many times have you been in church? And because of strife, now you see the church different. You see the people in the church different. You see the pastor different or that elder, that deacon or whoever it is. You see them completely different because of these issues. It says the Bible warns against strife and reproves those who cause it. It is to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to, to quarrel. By, and these verses are Proverbs 23 and Proverbs 18, 16, or 18, 6, and 20, 10. But avoiding strife is difficult, even in New Testament times. Strife cropped up in the early church. 1 Corinthians 3, 3, 1 Timothy 6, 4, and 2 Corinthians 12, 20. The cause of strife is underlying sin. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from evil that desires a war within you? James 4, 1. Strife can develop when its difference of opinion comes becomes priority in a relationship. Strife is always accompanied by pride and an unteachable spirit in one of both parties. Proverbs 13, 10 says, where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. When someone refuses to consider another viewpoint and demands his own way, strife results. When someone is bent on strife, someone bent on strife will not allow compromise, negotiation, or humility. Strife alienates friends, divides family, and, dest and destroys churches. The herdsmen of Abraham and Lot strove with each other in Genesis 13. Isaac faced strife from the residents of Gerar over drink drinking water, Genesis 26. Strife among the Israelites led to Korah's rebellion in Numbers 16, and to the Israel's Israelites' wish to die in the wilderness in Numbers 20. Such strife always leads to trouble and requires the wisdom of godly peacemakers to calm it down. God hates church. God hates strife in His church for several reasons. Number one, and this is the first thing that we're going to talk about: strife destroys unity. Unity based on the truth of God is so important to Jesus that his longest recorded prayer, he asked the Father that his followers would be as one, his followers would be one as you and I are one, as him and Christ was one, or God was one. In John 17, 22, anything that shatters that unity is an enemy of the church and an enemy of God. And so on this first point, I'm going to just give you a little example of, of this one, strife destroys unity. When before I before I came here, um, there was a point where I was just seeing. I was praying to God, and I was going in, in my prayer closet, and I was just seeing this this vision that God was giving me for the youth, and. It was just not a popular view because I was seeing, especially when COVID happened, that we could connect all the the churches and and different things together, and and also I was going through this point where I was doing five different ministries at this time, and I was really wanting to let like at least three of them go because I was just getting too burnt out with what I was doing, and I had went to. I was at this, I went to my pastor and I was just like, Hey, I'm getting ready to, I'm doing the juvenile justice expert care program. And I need, I'm giving you a, I'm going to give you a year to, to figure out the new youth ministry, like to have someone there. 
And I had a guy that I had trained up and stuff like that. And he was like, he was ready to take over the youth group. And I kept asking and kept asking, hey, what are you gonna do with the youth group? What are you guys gonna do with the youth group? Because at this time, the youth group was just up. It was strong, it was vibrant. Uh, we had a lot of kids starting to come. The, the, the kind of conversations and stuff that they were having was, was so amazing. And, and there was no response. It's like they had no plan to actually keep the youth group going. And that was after like four years or three years of grinding from nothing to make that stuff happen. And I started to get very frustrated and angry inside. And then there were some other things that was going on with just like the pro- one of the projects that I was doing for church. And then there's another thing that was going on with just... I believe, honestly, that there was internal struggle in some of the leadership with the direction that I was going because um, a lot of the church members trusted me. And uh, I'm sorry, my throat. A lot of church members trusted me and would come to me for things over certain leadership. And I think that brought like a jealousy type thing or just a a feeling that I need to be put in my place kind of thing. And so the strife happened. And when the strife happened, there was no unity because at, at that point, there was also some things where you told that where they told me like as I go in, they'll help me go to school, different things like that, because I wasn't getting paid for what I was doing. I wasn't get, I was getting paid very little. And, and none of those things ever happened. And so I was very I did not trust them, to be really honest. I did not trust them at all as far as I could throw. And I was became very angry with them. And so the way I, I saw them was just, it, it might not have been their heart, but I just saw them very negatively. And at that point, it was just like, I guess it's just me on my own. I got to do whatever I got to do. And, and which led to a situation where the church or the, it was really the pastor at the time, the pastor at the time completely just uh, went in this thing where he pretty much went on a character assassination type thing to get me out of the church didn't give me the benefit of the doubt, didn't the way like even went about it, just like completely separated me from my church, caused all kinds of issues in the church when the way the situation was, it was, I was hurting and there was a lot of things going on with me mentally and all kind of other stuff that just wasn't being addressed because so much strife was there that we didn't even really talk to each other about what was really going on. And I saw that firsthand where it just completely just caused so many issues. And it's one of those things where I see it differently now in my life, how it plays out, because there's been several different instances where strife has risen up and I can see the opposite of these things where really thinking and taking things to God, where that unity, when you want to keep that unity intact, like a lot of times it's all about your pride. It's about putting that pride down first and not taking so much offense to things. And so I want to get your thoughts on this first point about how strife destroys unity. Were you seen it in your church? Um, were you seen it in, in, at your work or in your family or anything like that? Floor is open. I guess I'll jump in. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, there's an acronym for, uh, for however it goes. It's uh, for pride. It's 
primary reason I died early is something I'd want to share. <laughs> so you're, when you're putting yourself out first, that's usually going to be leading to some sort of death of the unity, death of the group. But I can think of, there's a verse that's been coming to me and it's about basically in a group that I'm involved with. I'm just going to be sharing my testimony with these guys, but there's a message I want to get across about as far as what we're putting first. And this is the first Corinthians 26. And I'll just read it real fast. This is the start. It goes along with this. As we, and this takes us out of the equation if we put Christ first on this one. So for you are calling, for, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised as God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification redemption that is written he who glorifies let him glorify glory in the Lord. As we're saying, is when we lose sight of the uh, of the of the mission and and put ourselves first or our opinion or someone else puts their opinion of us before glorifying God, that's where we get into this into this position of strife. Mm. Anybody hear me? We do. Yeah. All right. Strife. Let's put it in perspective. We as Christian men have spoken this in other podcasts. Patrick has heard it and really well Quentin has heard it. And one thing as men that have been striving to be Christ-like every day is to lay ourselves before the cross in the morning time and die to ourselves like Paul did, putting our flesh on that cross and carrying our cross daily. Strife is pretty much another word of pressing anger when we don't want to lay down our pride and do what supposedly, in quotes, what us men are supposed to do because we have to have pride and pride to be an American, proud to be a strong man. Those are those are good things, but we can take it to a point that it, it, it causes a self-awareness of ourselves, makes us our own gods. In Proverbs 16.32, it says, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has hasty temperate exalts fully now there's a word that comes into this thing that i read here where is it at it's right here it says here in my nkjv version <clears throat> it says he who's slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes his city and then 33 says the lot is cast into the lap but it's every decision is from the Lord. So get what that said. It said it's lot. What does that mean, the lot? That means inheritance. So when we're slow to anger, he's right there. The spirit is right there guiding us, saying, man, good son. You slow down, you're taking it in, and you're letting the Lord, you're letting the spirit lead. So I'm going to put a inheritance in your lap. Every inheritance is it, it, it back in numbers pretty much is a division of land. 
So he's putting inheritance, spiritual inheritance in your lap that has to do with inheritance of land, inheritance of another portion of the spirit that's given into you that, that makes us grow, as it says in the word, from one glory to another glory. We're losing, we're dying to ourselves. We're losing that pride, that strife that God wants us to eliminate and take up his pride, his slow to anger. You got to remember when we're, we're supposed to be angry at certain things, we're human beings. It's how we react to these things. If, if something's going on in your family and your old self will take off and say some things out of your mouth and spew ugly things that will, will cause an escalation in the family. But in Christ, you evaluate these things and you sit back and you let the spirit dictate. And next thing, sometimes the spirit's telling you, you know what, shut your mouth, don't say anything. And everything escalates. Or the Lord will have something put in your mouth and you say one word and it'll do this escalate things. I've learned that a lot in my life, my walk. And it takes great humility to do that as a man, because us men, we have this pride thing that we have to say something, have the last word. And that can be with our wives, that can be with our friends, that can be with a stranger, even worse than a stranger. But ain't no man going to talk to me like that. I'm going to have to have the last word. Sometimes you have to sit back and, and humble yourself and eat some pie. A lot of us don't like to eat pie. I like to eat pie. We've got to make sure that we're honoring God the way he wants us to be honored. So like that, because it's not about us, it's about them. If, if we don't show Jesus in ourselves, then they, they don't know that, we, we, that Jesus is in us. So what happens is we act just like the world. And so how can we share the gospel if we're acting like the world? That's my take on that. I'm thinking I'm going to chime in here for a couple minutes on my thoughts about strife causing disunity. And I will speak from my own experience in my prior marriage because that's, that's where I saw it the most. And I tried to be, as you were talking about, I was pretty slow to anger, always have been. But I would say that when we looked at the definition of strife, it was, it's not just a conflict. It's an intense conflict. It's things over fundamental kinds of issues. And I think that was really why that marriage did not last, is that there were certain things that just were never going to be come into agreement between her and I. And that was the fundamental problem that we wrestled with for many years and led to the dissolution of that of that marriage. Yeah, I definitely, Patrick, your question as to how do we see strife fitting into that that statement that could causes disunity. I definitely saw it. I definitely saw it directly, immediately in my life, and has it has had ongoing consequences for from that point forward. And my comment. <laughs> You're on mute, Patrick. On mute. I have a question for you on that. When you said that you had issues as far as where it was, you guys had issues where you just wasn't going to agree on, you never was going to agree on. Like I've been in, that was, that's I think one of those things that led to my divorce also. And that really hit home because sometimes you're like, what do you do in those situations where it's just, you just, you, you can't see eye to eye. And then what do you that's, do in those kind of situations? That's really the, 
that was the conundrum that I was uh, dealing with. And <clears throat> there were things, and that's why it took 29 years for that to get to the point where we said it's just never going to work. We were very st both very stubborn, both thinking that we were going to, first of all, it was uh, the biggest issue was that it was everything was my fault. Okay. And that, and in her mind that she had all the answers and that I had to come around to her way of thinking or it wasn't going to happen. And in many cases, she was right. I was a new believer. She had been a believer for uh, a long time. And I started in that situation there, but it never changed. And the way you, we dealt with conflict, I wish I could say that I found a way, found a better way to, to resolve that and for, it to, for that marriage to last and not just last and be miserable, but last and be fulfilling. That did not happen. And, and you know, so I, I'm not coming from a, a point where I can say, here's what we did that resolved it. Yeah, clearly I didn't, and it failed that way. But from the standpoint of addressing a question of strife and how it, uh, it cannot exist, you cannot have unity when you have strife at the same time, that's the example I wanted to put forth, and because it was the most personal and direct one that I could think of. Certainly, you could have strife within organizations, within churches, with where you live and where you work, with your neighbors, but in the home was where it really hit hardest with me. No, yeah, I like to, if you can't, okay, let's go Daddy. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, my name's Danny. Everyone I'm new. Uh, thanks, Dennis. I met him yesterday. Um, but, yeah, I'd like to uh, jump in with that. Um, I think for me, uh, uh, I think strife is a form of control, right? Like, for me, I had a really tough childhood, and I couldn't control anything, right? The only way to feel safe when I was younger was more of a control thing. And I noticed throughout the years control can just turn into strife and you can not even see it. So strife was more like a safety thing too. So I think really having keen sense of awareness when it happens, when you start to see it, then you can actually be like, whoa, I see it happening. I see it taking a different turn. And that's how I've learned to just recognize it and improve on it. And like you guys were saying too, it affects everything. It affects finances, affects relationships. Every fact is really affected by strife. I think awareness and humility too. I noticed when we're humble as men, it doesn't mean being timid, being weak. It means being open-minded. That's it. If you're in a relationship, you like you like someone on here was saying, you can't just I'm going to win. I'm going to win. But you have to. There has to be fifty-fifty. That's the whole point of a relationship that I'm learning too. Yeah, I think I think awareness and, and humility in the right form that God wants us to have is imperative. I think that was very wise, man, when you said control is a form of strife. A lot of times we're trying to control things that are just not in our control. And that right there by in itself causes so many issues. So many issues. I'm gonna go to the next one. I said strife is the opposite of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Actually, I just went to church and I heard this message about love, and this is one of the verses that was in it. It was really good. It says, 
First Corinthians 13, 1 to 3 reminds us that we do as nothing that we do as Christians is as vital to our faith as love. Being right, which is what something that's what you just said, Danny. Being right, declaring our version of truth is doing is or doing dozens of good sacrificial deeds counts for nothing without love. Love will not tolerate strife, and strife cannot exist where love rules. When we allow ourselves to become embroiled in strife, we have said no to love. That's a that's one right there. That's a hard one. So I went through this recently. I had a situation where I was leaving an organization and a lot of it was just the way things are being said and the way things, I, I felt like I was being treated. People think they're saying things in, in truth and they're being honest about things, but not understanding like the way and what they're saying is actually hurting a person. And, and I even said so. I was like, hey, this is not right, the way things are going about this. And nothing was made right in it. And there was this one point where we were all having a conversation. And I could feel the anger in me just just boiling over. Like, it was boiling over. And I knew at this moment, because of my temperament, like, I was going to destroy these people with my tongue and just say what I really thought, how I really felt about this situation. And it would have been true, but it would have damaged them. It would have hurt them. And um, there wouldn't have been any loveliness. So I left and I left that situation and I walked away mad in, in the middle of a windstorm. And that was crazy. <laughs> and, and But what happened is when I walked away, I was able to, because a lot of times in the middle of strife, your capacity for love goes down. So your anger comes up your love goes down because like when you're angry, that's when you say the most hurtful things. And I had time to think over the weekend. I had time to pray, give it to God, because a lot of times in those moments, we're not giving those things to God. So he can actually take the Holy spirit can take control of our anger at that time. And we can respond the way he wants us to. And at that very moment, I just kind of over that weekend, I kind of was just like, all right, what is it about these men that I love? And the Lord was just showing me this, like, you can't, some of them are pastors and stuff like that. The Bible talks about how you honor and respect them and stuff like that. And just like how, just how you have to be very careful about the things that you say and do against pastors and stuff like that. And then, and then that started to change my heart and just be like, all right, how do I love these brothers that I feel are mistreating me because of their own perceptions and of me, of that wasn't true or wasn't founded in anything. Like, how do I actually deal with it and not take it personal? And that was the biggest thing, which is not taking it personal, which is, hey, if I'm a child of the king, then they're saying these things against him. It's got nothing to do with me, to be really honest. Like, and having that mindset, like they might be talking about me or saying these things to me, but my God knows me. He knows my heart. He knows the inner workings of everything. And so whether it's true or not, that's inconsequential. The truth of it is what my response to those things are. Because many people said many things about Christ. And that was the thing that was given to me. Many people said many things about Christ. And it didn't matter if it was true or not. Did he ever respond in a negative way 
that would have brought dishonor to God's name. And that's what it's really always all about. What is the honor that you're bringing to Christ's name? Because that's because he's the one that first loved us so we can love others. And when we dishonor that name, people cannot see his love. And so that's why the love part is so important. Because I was able to go back later and just like really look him in the face and just be like, hey, I love y'all. Yeah, we might not be able to continue together and, and all that other kind of stuff, but I love you guys. There's no heart feelings. Because I'd rather, because I saw also that that they were unified in what they thought was right. I knew that God was calling me a different direction. And if I stayed, that would always be this contentious center because we would we did not see things the same way. And out of love, I was like, hey, let me go ahead and just and step out and, and not try to keep negotiation, not try to keep, because that was just a, a, a major source of strife because it was just two very vast different ways of doing things. And, but I, I see how God just turned all that around because of love. And uh, yeah, that's what I have for that right now. That's what I have for that. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Okay. So you said some things like, I think with strife, oftentimes the Lord's revealed, like things are often rooted in pride and offense is always rooted in pride or some need of validation. Mm. So when we're seeking our own will, our own emotions to be validated, in essence, we are being our own God. And we actually no longer have a right to be offended because we've been bought by the blood of Jesus. And he owns us. And if he didn't open his mouth to defend himself in like manner, love does not seek its own. So the reason your capacity of love decreases in strife is because you're not seeking love. You're seeking your own. I felt like the Lord was just sure. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What Brother E said, if we just listen to the Holy Ghost, his ways are better, man. And like one word can change a situation because we don't fight against flesh and blood. But we keep bringing our battles back to flesh and blood and we keep bringing our battles down here instead of up here when we're actually seated with Christ in heavenly places now and the battle's victorious, it's won, but we're not fighting from that vantage point. We're fighting down here when Christ has already called us up here. So the Lord wants us to constantly just change our perspective. And when you're trying to shoot, move and communicate, but you're on the wrong plane, brother. So you got to get an Eagle's point of view on this. You know who you are. You know what the Lord's speaking. You got to be at a higher altitude. He that soars high on wings like Eagles, right? What does an Eagle do? An Eagle, when the storm comes, 
an eagle goes higher. He goes above the storm. That's all I got. <laughs> that was good, brother. <laughs> that was really good, Ashley. That was real good. I'm a. Most of you guys know about like how when I was in the woods and stuff like that, and there was two guys trying to attack me in the middle of the woods when I was playing disc golf with some buddies. And that was a, a moment in my life where I got these people calling me a nigger and telling me like F all black people and all this other kind of stuff. I didn't even do nothing. I was just minding my own business, just playing this, just doing some disc. And like when you're talking about how that really actually plays out, I'm a fighter. I, I did MMA for eight years and, and where they were going is like where my nature is at. And I was just, when the guy's walking up, he's coming up towards me and I'm looking at this guy and he's just, I can tell he wants to do me harm. And the Holy Spirit at that time was just like, I have, my buddy Matt had just told me, he's like, God's trying to do something with you and your anger. Like maybe uh, he had told me that like maybe two days before it's on that Thursday. He was like, man, God's trying to do something with your anger, man. And just, I was walking out of a meeting or walking out of the men's group. And that's what he told me. And I was just like, I was like minding my own business. And he just come up like, hey, God, I just feel like God's telling me that he wants to do something to address your anger. And I kind of got angry at the fact that he's telling me I need to do something with my anger because I was just walking, minding my own business. And, but he didn't nod on me for the, the next two days. Like God was just like, why would he say that? So he was, he told me, he called me the next day. He was like, hey, bro, I just want to let you know that it's not that you, you're angry. He just, I just felt like God was saying he wants to take the rest of your anger. And so it gnawed on me. And then that Saturday came and I was coming off this real good spiritual high. And I'm in these woods. This guy comes up and he just F you nigger, F all black people and all this other kind of stuff and said all racial slurs and names and stuff like that out of nowhere. Like, I, I don't even know where this guy came from. And he's walking up to me. And the Holy Spirit was just like, was like, are you mine? And I was just like sitting there and I'm just like, ah, oh man, I want to fight. I really, cause I had been through a past two years of just not being able to just a lot of stuff being held in. And then so that nature of just like, all right, I could get it out right now was just like, was there. It was right on the surface. And are you mine? And I was just like, yeah, I'm yours. And I was just like, hey. I said, hey, man, God loves you. When this guy, he's like, F you, man. And the Holy Spirit was just like, that's not, you took the easy way out. How are you going to use my name for the love that you're supposed to be having? And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, ah, man, like I did, I took the easy way out. The next thing I know, I was, he was like, man, F you, still cussing me out and all that other kind of stuff. And I'm, and I'm sitting there and I just, I look at him and I'm like, I'm trying to be the Christian guy. And I was like, hey, man, I love you, man. But I didn't mean it. It was that I'm better than you. I love you. Holy Spirit hit me again. Bam. <laughs> he was like, really? This is what we're doing? You don't think I know your heart? And and I was like, are you mine? I'm like, oh, man, yes, Lord, I'm yours. And then the humility came when I was like, in that very moment, I was able to see like he was in but that wasn't who he was. Whatever he was, whatever was going on, I could just tell that it was not, that was not the situation. I could see him the way God saw him at that moment. And I really was like heartbroken for him, truly heartbroken for him. 
And I was just like, hey, man. And I looked him dead in the eyes. And I was like, hey, man, I, I love you, man. I said, I love you, brother. And he looked at me. He was like, oh, F you. And he walked away. And so we ended up praying in the woods, me and the guys, because I was still hot. And we started praying. And we prayed for their souls and prayed that uh, the Lord would come back, would, would, would gain their hearts. 20 minutes later, these guys come back out the woods. And they're right behind us where we're at. And so I was able to talk to them and witness to him and stuff like that because he came out the woods he, and I was like, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And I was like, come here. And they both keep walking over. And one guy was just like, hey, I would never say that, not that kind of stuff. And the other guy, the one that was saying all those comments, he wouldn't even look at me in the eyes. And I looked at him and I was just like, hey, man, look at me. And I was like, what the heck? What, what is your problem? What's your deal? And he's got tears in his eyes. And he's, man, I don't know why I, I, I was like that. He said, I saw you up on that hill. I saw a light on you. And the spirit in me, man, just started just saying all this crazy stuff. He said, I don't even know why I said that, that stuff. He said, and then you sat there and you looked at me and said, he said, you told me you loved me. Not God loves me, but you told me you loved me. And he said, when you told me that, he said, I didn't know what to do. He said, I sat down and I walked away from my friend and I'm looking at my friend and I felt so ashamed because here I am saying all this stuff to this man and he goes and he tells me he loves me. And right there at that, in the middle of the woods, when all that stuff had happened, those two men got saved, came to Christ in the middle of the woods. And I actually came and sat in church with me the next day. Mm -hmm. And some of my brothers here, I think it's Dennis and E. Quentin, you're part of that. You know what I mean? Because like I was flabbergasted. I've never experienced, I've never experienced love in that way conquering strife, like never in a million years could I think that someone, I could be in a thing where it's going to be life or death. Someone's going to try to do some racial crap to me and they turn around and get saved. They come to church the next day. Who does that? But God, because his ways, when he's talking about that Eagles view, that had nothing to do with me. That was the view that God gave me at that moment, because I was not capable of that kind of, this is the thing you have to understand too. A lot of times when it talks about that love that we have to have, we're not actually capable of it. We're only capable of it through the love of Christ, through what Christ does. It's a filter. It's like a it's like a, a conduit where God's putting it into us and it comes out of us out of the overflow. And, and that kind of love, because the love that Patrick had, honestly, that situation would have been completely different. The love that God has that he can, he puts through you in those situations where if you go and humble yourself and give it to him, he gives you those wings in that viewpoint. And they say like, whatever the situation is, it can be completely reversed and turned around for his good, which is what he always says, which he says in his word. He works all things out for the good, for his good. Number one, for his good, for those who are called and who are called according to his purpose. And a lot of times we think it's for our good, but it says for his good in that verse. And that's very important because if it's for his good, then it's always going to be for our good. Number three, it says strife confuses the watching world. Jesus instructed his disciples to love each other as he has loved them so that the world will know that they belong to him. This is a big one right here, guys, because this is the world is always watching. 
This is the biggest. This is one of the biggest one that I that the, all the people that I deal with when I go witness. I, I'm, I'm an evangelist, so I talk to people every day. I cannot tell you how many times people have told me that they will not come to church. They don't want nothing to do with Christianity because the way they see these, the, the way they see Christians treating others and each other. Go ahead, Quentin. Get the floor, man. It's on you. It's almost like love covers a multitude of sins, bro. <laughs> like you're in the park, they're trying to fight against, it's a spiritual battle, but it's like love covers a multitude of sins. Love conquers all. And then you literally hit the nail on the head. Like, how are they supposed to know that we're his disciples because of the way that we love? So in all carnality and all rationality, them coming against you and slurring you and hating on you and saying all that, bro, you have every right to be pissed off and offended in the natural but when you just listen to the holy spirit the spirit is like dude i am on a whole nother mission here because i'm trying to constantly reconcile the world into myself patrick and you're my ambassador nice. come on bro hallelujah come on, come on brother <laughs> come and on. then he gets up then he gets up to the feet of the cross that is the ministry of reconciliation man that's the heart of father god Come on, bro. That's so good, man. I'm jazzed over here about that still. I heard it. I've already heard it. I hear it again. It's that's Papa God. That is the heart of God, man. While we're ignorant, while we're completely, while we were yet sinners, Christ committed his love towards us. That while we were yet sinners, he dies for us. It's that same gospel over and over again, brother. Look, 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 look. But you know, Listen, you and E, man, and all that, and Dennis, man, y'all always be pumping me up, bro. For real, man. I'm getting, yeah, Woo! I'm getting excited on this Come one, man. On, you know what I mean? And I don't want to be. Smoke <laughs> one another off, bro. Outdo one another in <laughs> yeah. brotherly affection. Listen, we, we, the yeah. only yeah. place I'm supposed to compete with you is I'm supposed to love you better. I'm not supposed to compare right. myself to you. I'm not supposed That's to right. see where you are on your race and look at where I am. Right. I'm supposed to outdo you in brotherly affection. I have to love you better than you can love me. That's the only mandate Jesus gives me, bro. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Amen. Man. And think about that, just about that concept right there. I'm supposed to love my brother better than he loves me. And if we're always in that kind of mindset, what is the implications of what that would be like? What if we were to be like that with our wives? What if we were to be like that for our children? What if we were to be like that with that worker at work that just, man, every time you go by him, man, you see that dude and it's like, you got the backhand of righteousness wanting to smack the crap out of him, man. But instead, you just choose to love that person more than yourself in the moment. What are the implications of what that looks like? What is the world when the what does the world see when we're like this? Me e, and Jeremy, we were out, we were witnessing to a guy the other day. And this guy literally said to us, he came up, you know how he is, he's a freaking battery, man. So like he comes up and he just, man, I'm gonna give you a hug and just hug this guy and all that kind of stuff. And this guy was just like, man, why are y'all so happy? Because he was just miserable. You know what I mean? He was miserable in his sin and his and whatever was going on in his life. He was just miserable, bro. And you could just see the darkness on him. And he was like, man, why are y'all so happy, man? You just all smiling at me and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, man, I, but I want that. How, how do I get that? I want that. And that came out of his mouth, man. It's like people are looking for, <laughs> they're looking for all this light, man. They're so 
half the people that I talk to, so I usually witness somebody once a day. And so once or twice a day, I talk to somebody about Christ. And all the people I've talked to, talk to almost 90, 80 to 90% of them are A, suicidal, B, have depression, or C, has anxiety in some way, shape, or form. So they're battling with depression. They are dealing with or have dealt with or having thoughts of or, or, at the, or at the very cusp of taking their lives because of what's going on in their lives and what's going on in the world today. And just this is how they're struggling. And they're looking, they're, they're like literally just tearing at a wave to not be in that mindset, to have peace and to have love in their life and to have that joy and happiness. And I'll be honest with you, and it's not a bash on the church, it's not a bash on anybody, but for us Christians, we're not that source. We're actually the opposite. And that's the sad part, because that's what they tell me. That's the sad part. And we have to realize that even at this moment, it's, this is not to bring it down. This is actually to open our eyes. Who are we going to be every moment of the day with this strife? The last thing, uh, the next thing says, strife confuses the world. It says, the purpose of harmony and love for each other so that the lost world sees a difference that Christ made. When we display our petty striving before the world, we show ourselves to be hypocrites. Think about that. We show ourselves to be hypocrites in that point. It says we set up the rest, we set up the rest of God's truth as a target for mockery when we as Christians refuse to honor his commands about strife. That's huge implications, guys. Of why we have to get a why we have to get a control on this. Next thing, it says strife alienates baby Christians. We cannot expect new Christians to behave like those who have walked with God for years. We're going to probably go a little bit over this. Okay. For those who need to jump off, that's no big deal. But this one needs to just run its course and we'll get off when it does. Uh, we cannot expect new Christians to behave like those who have walked God for years. They're in spiritual infancy. But when we would know better, fill our churches and study groups with division, strife, gossip, and conflict, younger Christians are easily wounded. They rightly expected better when they came to Christ which is supposed to be us older Christians that know the word of God, they expect better, but we give them our worst. And so it leads them away from Christ. The ones that's just getting saved or just coming into Christ or look, or we told them when we told them that when you become saved, you become a new creature in Christ, but then they come to church and see that it's just pretty much more of the same. And so that, what is the difference? What is it that's, why not go back to the world is really what ends up happening. And too often the behavior of established church member drives those away who are just starting on the journey with Christ. What are your thoughts on this one? We have one, one, one more, two more, and we'll be done. But so I got, well, you did all you had. You had. Okay. So two things. One is that yesterday, the, the scripture that we were talking about in service was he's talking about in Matthew 18, 10, I believe it is. But if any of us cause one of these little children to stumble, 
it would be better for us to have a millstone tied around our neck and to jump into the depths of the sea and remembering like though that us as followers of the Lord, like especially to baby Christians, we have to handle ourselves in a manner that is not going to cause them to stumble because if we cause them to stumble because of our own junk and our own flesh, that is a very bad place to be because we're supposed to disciple them. We're supposed to help guide them, get them along the way, be an example to them. Paul said, I made myself an example to you. So that was one thing. Another thing was to remind yourself constantly. I would ask every man a question here. Did, do you need, did you, and do you need God's mercy? Yes. Amen. Me too. Every day. And remind yourself that constantly keep that mind of Christ. Like Pat was talking about, you have to have the mind of Christ to do this. It's not the mind of Adam. You have to have the mind of Christ, right? Having your mind renewed, putting on the mind of Christ, but reminding myself constantly, judge no man according to the flesh, staying in the word constantly so that I have the word stored up in my heart that I might not sin against God, but so that I constantly speak truth over my mind, that I would wash my mind in the word and renew my mind. But that I look at some situation and it's like you go to cast judgment or you go to have strife or frustration and you realize to him that sows mercy shall reap mercy. That's right. And when I'm looking at a situation and I go to be like this or what I think it's dude, I'm going to sow mercy into this situation because that's what God would do to me, man. And it's, it's that parable of the one who the two people that are owed money. The one has a massive debt. You know what I'm talking about. But I go look at that. Go read that. But that's all I got for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> the essential focus of Jesus' teaching and the gospel message is to be reborn as a believer in Christ and as a child of God. While the phrase die to self is actually not explicit, explicitly found in scripture, it is closely related to the idea of being born again and devotion of faith. The closest thing we find in the Bible is where Paul writes, old self was crucified, Romans 6, 6. So dying to yourself means to forego the selfish, physical, and the egotistical desires of this world and wholeheartedly seek the kingdom of God. Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, 3, right? Therefore, if anyone in Christ is a new creature, no creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Now, the difference between a Christian and a Christian, I like to say one season operates in the spiritual realm and the other one operates in the fleshly world. That is the difference. If we continue to show ourselves as our old self to another Christian, then they don't know what a Christian really looks like because we're acting like the world. We have too many of that in our churches. They don't operate in this facet to actually guide themselves and see in Christ-like eyes in order to help our brethren or our sisterhood. That's an issue. Because if you die to yourself daily and you say you're a Christian, then these things that we're talking about, strife and anger and all this other crazy stuff, shouldn't be happening. Because if you cannot, if you cannot minister in your own home, you shouldn't be ministering anywhere. You hit the next one around the head. Be honest, man. It says strength is a sign of worldliness and carnality. You are still in the flesh, Paul told one church. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh, behaving only in a human way? 
This is First Corinthians 3, 3. So you hit it. You know what I mean? With Christian maturity comes a cessation of strife and contention among believers. That's, so that's number five. So you hit that nail around the head, man. It's just I that's mean, the truth. Just look at, the, look at uh, First Corinthians 2, 14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that have come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. They cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Discernment is a big thing that we talk about. And you can't, in instance, you can't talk to a person, it's a Christian person that's related in this worldly view about spiritual things. They think that's foolish. They think you're crazy. You have to discern things in, your, in yourself. And God will, will, will allow certain things to be said and certain things not to be said. So like that, the person that's sipping on milk can understand it in the milky way. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, I, I always like to, to bring things down to examples where we can, very practical ones. And I'm going to speak up here a little bit about what has been going on in the churches here in our little town of White House. When you, Patrick, and possibly a few others were reaching out to them about this these plans for a youth rally to support Christians' youth, and that they have, it's like you would think that a, a minister would support this idea, that you have kids who are Christians that are wrestling and struggling with stuff going on in the schools and the like, and you've got this opportunity to bring kids together and have a, an environment where their faith and their beliefs are supported and encouraged and bring other kids to faith. You'd think that would be something that they'd get behind, right? Wrong. <laughs> because they're afraid of losing kids from their congregations to somebody else. So that, in my mind, is a, a perfect example of that worldly-mindedness. They're not spiritually minded. They're not being uh, focused on what the mission uh, that God has placed on their life truly is. They're focused on protecting what they've got from some nebulous outside source. And uh, and I just want to also touch about the idea of, of alienating people. And I'll use an example again out of my own life. My father was raised in the Seventh-day Adventist church, and he walked away from that church when he was in his teens. And what he has told me from the time that we start, first started asking questions about that is that he's he saw nothing but hypocrisy because of all of the messages that he remembers. 90% of them were about how other Christian denominations are all going to hell. And he said yeah, that just it struck his heart and his spirit as wrong. And he has never, he's, he calls himself agnostic. I would say that he recognizes that God exists. But that experience as a young person has kept him from having a personal relationship with God. He's 89 now for 70 plus years. And that that is a very real impact that this kind of strife in the church has caused. That's something right there. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie, like this guy, this has been a big thing for me today, man. Like I to be honest, just your inputs and just just the insights to it, just to build 
on the on, on all of this. It's just been you dream things and then you see it happen. It's just it's something else. It really is. Number six, strife distracts us from the ultimate purpose of making disciples. And this is to me, out of all of this, this is what it really boils down to. So strife distracts us from, from our ultimate purpose of making disciples. Jesus left us one clear objective, make disciples of every nation in Matthew 28, 19. Fulfillment of that commandment is Satan's biggest fear. So he keeps us tangled in our own petty disagreements, disappointments, and disputes so that we limit our impact on the lost world. While the essentials of the gospel cannot be compromised, we can become so dogmatic about non-essential doctrines and political affairs that we forget that obedience and love are the marks of a mature believer. When we allow strife to dictate our choices, we fall short of the mandate that Jesus gave us. With communication technology at our fingertips, creating and maintaining strife has never been easier. We live in a day of offense. It's become fashionable to declare our offense about every little thing. This should not have no place in the family of God. And while sin should always offend us, we should never draw lines in the sand and create enemies out of anyone, even sinners. This is in Luke 15, 1 through 2. Um, let me pull this up real quick. Let me see if I can read this real quick. Luke 15, 1 through 2. Any thoughts on that while I'm looking this up? Okay, so it says in 15, 1 through 2, it says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And so when you look at this right here, Well, Jesus made friends from everybody, even the ones that hated him. Where they were even able to, they themselves were able to say, this man right here, he's for everybody. And that right there made some people angry. I know the things that I'm doing right now, and, I, and, I, and I'm not making this about me, but I'm just like, I'm thinking about it right now, and I'm starting to see it in a different light just from that verse. The things that I'm doing right now with trying to unite everybody I know it's going to make people angry because some people don't want that. They want the division. They have their own ways, their own set ways of doing things. It's been said to me several times and it just can't happen and all that other kind of stuff. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. And it's just, it's keeping us from making disciples. Yes. And that bothers me so much. It bothers me so much because this was saying, like, all the world wants to see is that something that's unified that says that the truth of God is true. That's all the world wants because they want to run to it. They want, <laughs> when I go to Sonic and I talk to these kids, they want to be disciples. They want to know truth. They want to know how to live their lives. They want to know, hey, there's something out there that's greater than me that I can be greater in that. They want to know this. But if we can't come together as a unified front and put away these denominational things, Republican, Democrat things, like that 
that Republican Democrat thing, it bothers me so much too, because the things that we say, there's a lot of Christians out there that are Democrats that are, that just aren't, they might have a different belief, but the things that we say just completely causes division in a way in our own hearts, because now we see Democrats as these unsaved people, which that is so far from the truth. I have many Democratic brothers that a lot of time, brothers and sisters that are just there, they walk in, they live it out, they walk it out. Now, those political views and stuff like that, they have no place in the kingdom of God. That's the work of the devil, to be truly honest, to bring the vision, to keep us separated in our hearts, to say us versus them. When you have these denominations, it's us versus them. Who's right? Who's going to own it? Who's going to be the one in charge? Who's going to be like, none of this stuff has a place in the kingdom of God and the body of Christ. Because you think about your body, right? At what point does your arm go, you know what? I'm the one in charge today. I'm going to walk around. How would that look? How efficient would your body be if your arm was like, you know what? I'm, I'm the walker today. And so you start walking around, you're like all on your hand and then your feet dragging around and all that kind of stuff. What if your head was to be like, hey, I'm the butthole today. That happens a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but <laughs> what happens, man? What if, what would that look like in, in, a, in an actual human body? And we're supposed to be the body of Christ, arms, legs, feet, mind. We all have these different purposes, but it's supposed to be this thing in unity where it's so seamless. You're, nothing knows that nothing... Everything works so seamless that that everything is just in, in this in this symphony where while you're walking, your arms are swinging and your your eyes are looking and scan the environment. Like how perfect that our body works together as one, just to get up and go to the next room. And then while you're doing that, your blood's pumping. All your five six systems are working in symphony. Like that's mind blowing. And the and what you can do with your body when you see those athletes doing all these different things or people playing the piano like what you can do when your body and your mind and all that kind of stuff is in concert with each other you can do such amazing things and strife and all, all those kind of stuff it keeps us from that that true purpose of everything is to bring more people to christ to be kingdom builders to be disciple makers and that's what it all boils down to because in our work and what we do at work and what we do in our everyday lives, everything we do should be making disciples, everything at all times should be making disciples. So I will leave there. Final let me, let me, yeah, let me, let me uh, interject there for a little bit. We as brothers in Christ come from all different backgrounds. As I explained before, we all different tools for the body of Christ. A lot of pastors and churches that Patrick, you were talking about that are afraid or just don't want to do things. I heard a, a prophet once say, division is denomination. Think about that for a second. We all come back from all different denominations. There's only one denomination. That's the denomination of God, period, and the story. There is no other churches of this, this one. Yes. And that's the fact of the matter is that we're, we're going to, we were taught that way in our society. And, it, and, and it's not during our generation, it's in many generations. It started way back in the beginning. 
This is how the enemy created it. Okay. That's why churches are, are very, I don't know, scarce to do things like that. But when that's the enemy saying, oh, you can't do that because you, you, you're going to lose this. You're going to lose that. Oh, you're not superior to this church. You're not, no, because if you have one body of Christ coming together, you know how much this world will change? You can't even fathom that. And then the fact of the matter is, yes, we all have our political agendas and our political stuff, but let's get one thing straight. In the Bible, it was always political because if it wasn't for the prophets going to the kings and telling them what's going to happen in the sense of them making decisions for the people, some of the kings wouldn't have listened like Pharaoh did. Even though God hardened his heart, Pharaoh had to listen to what the prophet Moses said because God was giving the instructions. You need to let my people go. If you don't let my people go, I'm going to send these plagues. I'm going to send this, I'm going to send that. He hardened his heart and let him go finally, but he still was hardened, right? So... We have to toe the line and understand what's going on in the world. But at the same time, make you focus on God. We have too many of our brothers, like Patrick said, that they're Democrats, Republicans. Some they have the right heart, but sometimes the progressiveness of Christianity that they, I was speaking to Patrick about the other day yeah. tends to fall on the wayside of where the enemy is at. And you cannot add to the Bible when it's already said, he already had a period ended in it. Okay, we need to understand that as Christian men. If you're confused about something, go back to the Bible. It'll tell you what it's supposed to be. Don't try to add what everybody else is trying to add to the Bible because it's not in there. Period. We got to understand that we have to discerning, but when we're discerning, we have to do it with love. There's a difference. Dying to self and dying to your pride and bringing the good book involved and saying, this is what the Bible says, man. I'm not going to say like other people, we agree to disagree because that's hogwash, man. You either agree or you disagree, period. Not even in that. <laughs> I think that's very wise. And I believe the same way in, in that aspect. We were in this world where the strife actually is strife against God's word. That's what everything is about. When we talk about when we talk about inclusivity and accepting everybody just the way they are and all that kind of stuff, the gospel doesn't accept us just the way we are. That's so untrue. Since <laughs> it accepts us where we're at, but not the way we are. That's two different things. It says that you have to confess your sins before God. You have to repent and turn before him. So that means right there that he doesn't like the way that I am, man. He likes me where I'm at, but not the way that I am. And that I have to actually go, okay, God, I need to be where you are. You know what I mean? I need to be what you want me to be. I need to be where, where that, at that point. And the strife that we have, the, the major strife in the world and all that kind of stuff is our enmity between us and God, our sin nature before God, which is what the gospel actually comes in and breaks down and crushes. That's what the, that's the whole thing. And so when we're talking about disciple part, that's the mindset that we have to have is that the strife is not against us as Christians. The strife is not against whatever. It's against the word of God. We come out of this whole, when we get off this session, we have the light and the word of God in us. We're the ones that's supposed to go into the world and show show that love to 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 be what this whole message was about, to be love, 
to be long suffering, to not to not respond the way so people can see that the gospel is what it is, because the gospel didn't come at us with a whole bunch of anger and saying, hey, you're wrong. You're this, you're that. No, the gospel said, hey, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No man can come into the father, but by me. You have a choice. All men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But then he also says there is no condemnation. That's the thing. Like the way the gospel comes at us, it breaks down all that strife. It makes us actually humble ourselves under that. But then when people see that kind of love, sometimes when you have your kid, if you have kids, any of you has kids, you your kid gets mad and you're like, Oh, I love you. And they're like, yeah, get away from me, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Or you have if you have a, if you have that teenage daughter. And she's like, you done cross that line and, and whatever. And she's oh, I hate you. You know what I mean? And stuff like that. That's the world, man, against the holy God. No matter how much love sometimes he has, we get mad. We do all kind of, but that's the essential thing of a wretch strife. The world at strife with God, but we're not at strife with the world. We are in love with the world. That's what we should be. We should love the world, not love the things in it, but love the world and be that example and in all facets of our lives, and then watch our families and our wives and our kids, our schools, our nation change because of how we join hands together. Man, this has been, I really enjoyed this today. I hope you guys did. This was, I really love this format that we're doing right now and just of the voices in it. I, I hope you guys come back and continue to do it and 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 see how far we can take this thing because I believe there's going to when we when we play this out today and it gets recorded and it goes out to the world, there's so many men that need to understand and hear these things and hear it from different perspectives of different brothers, because everybody added value to what the word, because the word of God is in all of us. So everybody here today had an impact on the world today because you got up and you said, hey, God, you first. Amen. And so I'm not going to leak today. I'm not leaking right today. I'm, try- I'm not going to do it today. But I'm Holy Spirit. this is what this is for. <laughs> this is what this is for. Because I needed this before I ran into the tree. I needed this when I was going through my depression this past two years. I needed the. I needed these kind of things today, actually, right now, because... All, what I came to bring you guys and what God put on my heart to bring, you guys took that together and then you just made it like you put so much more into it. So now I get to walk out of this whole session today. Just, I can't tell you the encouragement that I'm like, I'm still mulling over in my mind right now. I, like things that Andy said, <laughs> that, that Danny down there said, Dennis and E and, and Quentin, all of it had a profound effect in my life today. And thank you again for being here, um, the Pit Podcast. And uh, can hey, somebody pray it out for us real quick? Okay, I'll pray it out, but, but as I want to add one final thing, because we talked about strife. We didn't really talk about the things we can do to uh, resolve strife. And so there's just a couple of things that pop up in my mind. And I think, Patrick, in the example that you gave, you demonstrated pretty much all of them. Number one would be to take yourself out of the the argument, to, to stop talking, to stop arguing, because we participate in that. I know I did. 
And number two, to love that other person and pray for that other person, even, and that is very difficult. It's very difficult when you are seeing them as the enemy and they're acting like the enemy and they're treating you badly. And number three would be to reflect upon what it is that I have done to add to this strife and confess that. Heavenly Father, I come before you and I thank you for this this morning. I thank you for these this gathering of men. I thank you for this topic that we've that we're talking about. And I'm pretty certain we've all experienced it in some form or fashion. Lord, I thank you for your wisdom that comes to us through your word. And thank you that we can sharpen each other, that we can discuss this and we can apply it to our lives. And Lord, I just ask that anyone who may be listening to this may be inspired to be peacemakers and be able to resolve the strife that may be existing in their life right now. We give you praise and glory and honor for it all in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. I would like to thank Pastor Joe from AIM Church right out the bat. I went to his church yesterday and this is where I got this information from and it was just a, it was a game changer. Uh, I would like to thank him and his church for this wonderful word to be able to pass on to each other. And I love you guys, man. I love you guys. All right. Until next week, Bit Podcast, we're out. Oh yeah. Blessings. Love you guys.